Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers over at Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's the other lore-focused writer at, at uh, Blizzard Watch. That would be Matt Rossi. Hello, everybody. Apparently, I can't talk today. <laughs> I don't know. That's words. It's okay. It's, you know, it's been a week. And then, of course, we got our other co-host who's a shaman expert and also a lore aficionado as well, and that would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Aside from my lack of being able to speak properly, you know, everything's great. You just need a tankard of terror full of coffee. It'll get you through the day. Don't worry. I think I do. I think I need some coffee or something. It's It's been a long day already, and yeah, it's not even that late in the afternoon or anything, so... Anyway, so this week, you know, I thought about tackling a singular lore topic and there was a bunch of stuff that I wanted to talk about. But at the same time, I know that we plug our email address for the show on every podcast and we had quite the stockpile of questions in there. And I know the last show we talked, you know, we went over some of the questions that we had gotten in. We got a whole mess more. So I figured we could go ahead and answer some questions again today. Is that okay with you guys? Yes. No, never. I never want to answer questions from our wonderful listeners. Okay, well, Joe, get out. Ah. No. Um, <laughs> so we're just going to jump in with these and probably go off on endless tangents because that's just what we do. But we'll see how many we can address. Um, if we don't get to all of them, don't worry. I'm keeping them in reserve. So if you did send us a question and you don't hear it answered today, hang tight you're probably good to go. And if you do have a question for the show, you can email that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Make sure that you put lore watch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show. Thanks. Uh, so our first email is from Droney, who's a hunter from Gallywix. And they say, hello, and Joe and Matt. Hi. I say, love the show, all the information, explanations, and theories. After watching Illidan lose it, when Cenarius told him he would have to study under Malfurion because he wouldn't sacrifice anything while Malfurion was putting in the work, I got this idea. What if, in some future cinematic dealing with Illidan's past, we got to see him about to confront Malfurion, only to see that Malfurion now also has golden eyes and figures that his great destiny would also require the kind of work and sacrifice that his brother did? Maybe he would start to understand that he wouldn't be given anything, rather having to go after it. Maybe that's the beginning of the path that brings him to sacrificing his connection to his people, turning to the Fell as a way to fight back the Legion, taking charge of forever being an outcast, despised by most of his kin, including his beloved Taronda, in order to achieve his destiny to be a champion in the war against the Legion. What do you guys think? One problem is that in-game he doesn't have golden eyes. Who? Malfurion. Sure go he look does. At Malfurion. No, he doesn't. Like, Go look at him. He just his regular blue old night elf eyes in the game. Okay, but in the cinematic where he was talking to Illidan, I thought he had the gold eyes. I could swear that he had the gold eyes because I saw that and went, huh, so only one of them had gold eyes, but now they've both got gold eyes? See, there's there. this is one of those things where the in-game model is inconsistent. I know, right? Because if you look at it, Malfurion way, way, way back when, before he got all of his, like, wings and stuff like that, he had gold eyes. And Uh, We got to talk about that, by the way. I have something to say about the whole wings... And feet thing. Is this going to be about the tweet? Because I think it's. it's Please talk about the animal parts. Let's hear about it. He doesn't have them. He does not have animal parts. I went and looked at his model when he comes in. He is the the, the newest model when he comes into, um, oh God, Firelands. 
at the end when you're doing heroic uh, Ragnaros. The wings are strapped on. There are straps that connect those wings yes. to his arms. Yep. And the feet are just shoes. Yep. He's just wearing shoes. Yep. He didn't have any. He, the only animal part he has is the antlers. He's a he's, he's a cosplayer. He's yep. an ancient's cosplayer. He's cosplaying <laughs> as the ancients. That's what he's doing. He's dressed up. It's just an outfit. He doesn't have any animal parts. I was like freaked out. I'm like looking at this going, what the hell? Yeah, I went I went back and like took screenshots. Like you can see where his where the wings are strapped to his arms. There's big straps on his upper, you know, his upper bicep. And they go right to the gloves on his arms. They're they're all attached. It's all just costume. He he's so weird. So he's not actually He's not a bird bear. So maybe he's just wearing contacts is what you're saying? Like sometimes he's wearing the blue contacts, sometimes he's wearing the gold contacts. Is that what I'm all, getting out of this? All I know is the dude is dressing up. Like that's that's an outfit. He thinks that looks styling. He's like, mm, what did Toronto like this morning? I know. I'll be an elk owl bear thing. She likes those. Owlkin? She likes owlkin. I'll be one of them. Seriously, the guy is wearing an outfit. Freaks me out. So we know he can shapeshift. Like, yeah. we know he can turn into a bird because we saw that. And we know he can turn into a deer because we had to ride him around in Valshara. Can he turn into a bear or, or a moonkin? Can he One... do either of those? Or is this just his attempt to kind of, like, compensate for the fact that... Wouldn't that, that... make a weird sense of sense, though? Because it wasn't traditionally, before, <laughs> before Warcraft was a thing, druids all kind of had, like, their specialty, right? Like, in the Warcraft series, the actual, like... RTSs. Kinda, yeah. So you had your druids of the talon, your druids of the claw, your druids of the fang, all that other stuff. So maybe he just doesn't have the ability to to do those two. And he's like, you know what? I feel like uh, since I'm the first druid, I should really kind of make people think I can do this. I know. Strap wings to my arms. Got it. They'll they'll except, never think about it. Except that uh, we actually know because Scenarius said that Malfurion has perfected all forms and even he even perfected the pack form. Like he, that's why he went nuts using the pack form. He, 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 every form any druid has, Malfurion knew first. He's the one who taught them how to do all this stuff. Can I just say that was probably one of the best, like, two panels in the Curse of the Worgen comic when Scenarius was like, Malfurion, what's going And Malfurion, like, leaps at him because he's in pack form, and Scenarius just, like, smacks him like bad dog. <laughs> he goes flying. <laughs> it was great. I'm sorry. Um, so like okay, you're it's right. Shoes. Man. What? Man, by the way, you're right. In this cinematic, Malfurion has gold eyes. Yeah. See, I told you. Like, like I said, I think it's I th it's a model inconsistency in the game because throughout the expansions, it's flip flopped. In Cataclysm, he had blue eyes. Before that, and like anytime he appeared before that, he didn't have. He had gold eyes. And now, like Darkheart Thicket, he has gold eyes. Like it's Wait. it keeps flip flopping, but in the in the when you're seeking have, for him, it's something that people have asked about repeatedly. Yes. And the answer from the lore team was always, "Well, he was born with silver eyes, but he worked hard enough that eventually he developed the gold ones on his own." Okay, I understand that, but he's kind of flip flopping all over the place here with the model. So do we ignore the model? When did he get the gold eyes? I'm assuming that it must have been way back because obviously. He's got them in the cinematic where Scenarius is talking to him right. and Illidan. And, so. and that makes the most and that makes the most sense is like if he's becoming like this perfect druid, you know, then that the 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 high point of his power, so to speak, you know, that would make sense that he would have them then and that, that would carry through. So I think it's just lore versus design miscommunication on their part. It's just it's a matter of how many different models of Malfurion do they have kicking around? 
eight. Well, I the think. original the original Malfurion model back in Vanilla was just random elf. Right. I remember and that. And he one because... he had the outfit, and because in Vanilla, the only time you saw him was what it was during the whole Dragons of Nightmare when you yeah, got the drop exactly. off the Dragon of Nightmare, and you took yeah, that uh, Aranicus. Because I took it, um, it wasn't even to Aranicus. It was to uh, he was in he, he not Scenarius, but one of Scenarius's sons, Remulos. Remulos. Oh yeah, over in Moonglade. Yeah, the other time Remulos. that you saw him though, in the um, quest to get the scepter of the Shifting Sands. You go to the sunken temple, and he was there with Aranicus. Yes, like his spirit yes. was there, but he di- he wasn't. I mean, it was a ghost, so you didn't really see what color he was or anything. It was just random night elf model that happened to be wearing the storm rage outfit. So, yeah. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess steering back towards the question a little bit, since we've we've done our fam- famous tangent, like going there. We got that out of the way up front. We got that out of the way up front. Um, I don't know because I've pretty sure that every time that Illidan has confronted Malfurion in every historical path since that defining moment, he's had the gold eyes. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, well, you got them now, I got them now, but I'm still better than you. And I don't know if we're going to see the defining moment as something that intrinsically links with Malfurion, so to speak, where he goes, you know what, I need to give up stuff or I need to fight really hard to, to save everybody. But I think we will see a moment and it seems to be where Zara is kind of leading us is this moment where we realize he's had this sort of switch flipped, but I'm not entirely convinced that it's going to have anything to do with Malfurion. Yeah, it's and I mean, this is mentioned in the Illidan novel. If you go read the novel, it kind of goes over that whole 10,000 years that he was imprisoned and what he discovered while he was imprisoned. Mm-hmm. And while he was imprisoned, a lot of his priorities he had some major shifts in priorities. And when he came out of that prison, yeah, Taronda set him free and everything. And there was probably, you know, a little bit of that last vestige of attraction to her and that kind of thing. But by the time he went to Outland, he had his priorities straight and none of them involved Taronda and none of them really involved Malfurion. Although, I don't know. Did, have you guys finished that particular quest chain? As far as I can get it at the moment. If you're talking about the Black Temple bit, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as so I can get. So you did the Black and, Temple bit, at and there the, is there is at that the, yeah. At the end of it, yeah. Can we talk about that? Because that was kind of awkward. If you haven't if you haven't finished the quest chains from Zira, particularly the ones that send you to Black Temple, you may want to skip a forward like five ten minutes i don't know until we're done talking about this but yeah one of the things i thought was interesting about it was the idea of Toronto changed from like an object of romantic obsession to almost like she's like a symbol for everything he's given up that was what i thought was interesting about it he, she's he, like she, the symbol of his sacrifice she's a symbol of everything she's she is she Azeroth is the sacrifice yeah she the, the thing Zara says you know she she was his image of Azeroth she is Azeroth to him, and it, it if you did the part where you know you're you're playing Illidan as a young mage trying to save um, Black Rook Cold against the Legion, and he even says I can't let them get past here they'll go to Suramar they'll kill Taranda, it's like he he never he's never been able to empathize with the vast majority of people he can't bring himself to care about his people he needs a person to care about. And that person is Taronda, and it's always been Taronda. It's almost like beyond even being in love with her at this point. It's like he it isn't like he it doesn't seem like he's trying to get Taronda to be his love. It's just that he's put everything on her. 
he's hung all that stuff that you might think he'd be able to just hang on his species or his race or his world. He no, it's just her. That's that's who he puts it on. Can can we talk about how that's just a little bit I don't know, creepy? It's very well, I mean creepy. it's super creepy. Yeah, let's it is and it's sort of like this weird embodiment of uh everything that's wrong with relationships. Um but it's it, it is interesting that you bring that up because it it is very apparent that when it comes down to it, when it boils down to it, he needs to have that point of fixation. It's Other, just and what, an odd. Okay. All right. We're going to delve into this because I really, I, I, I kind of feel like we have to talk about this, right? He's fixated on Tyrande, right? And if you've read the War of the Ancients trilogy, which by the way, very good trilogy, goes over the entirety of canon as it's, as it's accepted in canon, uh, the War of the Ancients and everything that happened within it. If you go into that and you read that, Taronda never really like sends any signals Illidan's way. I mean, is it just me or does like she's made her like she may be wavering back and forth, but it's pretty obvious by I no, think no, the no. second Taronda book that never, she's made her choice. Taronda never was. I honestly feel like for years Taronda thought of both the Storm Ages as her brothers. Yeah, they were her. They were her best friends. She, you know, they'd go hunt and fight and explore the woods and do everything together. Because and then all of a sudden, awkward elf puberty hit, and they were both interested in her. Yeah, and the thing is, is that there weren't. I, you, I think I get the sense that elves don't have a lot of kids. No, you don't get the sense they're that they're immortal. They have, I mean, well, the immortal, the immortality they, didn't come until after the War of the Ancients. Yeah, but, but they even were still then, long lived. they're really long lived. So they don't. Children are not. That's I mean, there's got to be a reason why they cart out the children and go, look, we have babies. Yeah, they have the children party. It's like, oh, look, new one. <laughs> the children so, party. <laughs> so I really didn't feel like they had, like, growing up, Taronda didn't have a lot of people to hang out with, so she hung out with them. They were the guys her age. And there, I think what ended up happening, the way it looks when I when I read War of the Ancients and I, War of the Ancients and I read, you know, the other books, is you get a sense that basically what happened was there were two eligible people her age – uh, they were both her like best friends growing up, and one of them didn't creep on her. Well, and you know? I don't think that Illidan really like creeped on her or no, anything. I think it was just. I think it was he, no. I think it was that whole like I said. There's that awkward night elf puberty thing going on, right? And they don't really know how to hit on each other, so they're sort of it's it's like being in middle school and trying to ask somebody to a dance, and you really don't know what you're doing, right? Or just yeah. having a conversation with I, the I don't opposite know, sex. I, I think it. To me, I think yeah. it's. Go he ahead, creeps. Uh, I think it. I, I'm with Rossi. I think it's a lot of creeping on her, because here he is. He's grown up his entire life at this point. And let's let's go back to the point of the birth. He's the most important child. Look at him. He is born with golden eyes. He is going to do great things. Oh yeah, we're just gonna like the other child that was born. We're gonna shove with the twins, and they can grow up together. So here he is being told that he's this like super important thing. So do you and, think he's trying and, to pull a Gaston he, with her yes, where he's like, yes, that's exactly it. I'm amazing. And you should totally yes, dig me because exactly, I'm amazing. I'm amazing. You're, you're pretty amazing too. You obviously dig me because I'm this amazing elf. Why don't we just get this over with and everybody will be happy. That's what it is. It's totally a Gaston move. Okay. Yeah. Like I would argue that Illidan basically 
you see it in the War, War of the Ancient books where he just he jumps to impress her. He does magic stuff immediately see, in front that, of her to impress her. I mean, okay, the whole moving to make kind of like moves that impress a girl that I can see, and that's not creepy to me because guys do that. You know, yeah, it's no, it's just something that they do. But it's it's not that he does it. That's the creepy part. It's the way he assumes that she has to respond. And that's, yeah, and, that's, well, that, and, that's and see, wants. that's where yeah. that's where we leap into the part that I'm kind of like, what exactly is going on in Illidan's head, right? Because not once in those books did I ever get the feeling that Taronda was leading him on in any way, or showing him any kind of favoritism, or suggesting, oh yeah, no, this may be a thing that happens, like it. It just it never came up because, you know, there was that whole war thing that they were dealing with and it kind of took a higher priority. The whole saving Azeroth thing that was a little more important than, oh, yes, I see you do magic. Good job. <laughs> you know, like, there. yeah, I definitely feel like the, one of the reasons that Illidan is so fixated on her is because she didn't give him any signals. She mm -hmm. didn't lead him yep. on. There wasn't the more she didn't seem interested, the more like disbelieving he was. Which like, is but, just kinda gross. Yeah, but that's And then he spends the next ten thousand years fixated on this woman who's never given him any indication whatsoever that she wants anything to do with him in a romantic aspect. And she's flat out chosen his brother, but he's still fixated on her. Now yeah. I had gotten the impression that after he was locked away, after the whole war, of the ancients thing, and he was locked away in prison in the Illidan novel, it made it pretty clear that it wasn't about Taronda anymore. And I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, I can see where he's moved on. And yeah, if she shows up again 10,000 years later and lets him out of jail, sure, there's going to be a moment of, are we still on or not? No? Okay, cool. I've got better things to do anyway. And he goes off and he does those better things. But then you get to the cinematic that's presented in Legion, the one where he's at the Black Temple, he's been defeated, and what's the last thing he says? Well, yeah, he says her name. So and there's the whole image of her in the background receding light streaming through it. The thing is, though, I think there's two ways to look at it. And it's one way creepy. It's, like, it is, why it's creepy. Why is he doing this? It's creepy if you assume it's romantic. But if you assume that he has gotten past it, like you pointed out from the Illidan novel, it, he could still be fixated on her, but it doesn't have to be a romantic fixation anymore. Because who did he know growing up? He knew two people. He knew her and his brother. And him and his brother have an incredibly complicated relationship. He can't love his brother. He'd like to, but he can't. He even says the last time Malfurion and Illidan are in a room together, they're not even in a room, it's outside. But when they're together, the last time he says there's been oceans of hate between us, but I want it to end. You know, I just I'd like this to be over. I don't want to hate you anymore. And I think that's. There's a lot going on, you know, it, it's very hard to understand the mind of somebody who was kept in seclusion for 10,000 years with only one person for company and that person hated him. Yep. You know, Illidan is completely insane. I mean, and I, I so say that... So if he's completely insane, why are we hinging Azeroth's continued existence on this fool? Because, because it makes him harder that's to... what you need. You need a completely insane person to fight the Legion. You can't fight them with conventional tactics because they simply will just keep throwing numbers at you. Yeah, just, and not only that, but like it makes it it makes it harder for him to be manipulated 
by the Legion versus look at how many times we as players have been manipulated by the Nathrazim or, you know, agents of the Legion and have followed them blindly. How many how many groups in Azerothian history have been the greatest intentions and then follow this leader who we then turn to find out serves the old gods or serves Sar- Sargeras in some capacity? And it's happened a lot over the course of the years. Illidan, have, while he I've, serves, he's crazy enough that he can't be manipulated to do exactly what they want. I have blown up personally um a lot of places i really shouldn't have yeah like, exactly i was just recently like i was I'm, i've been running uh the the mr pandaria stuff because i want to get like sets from there so by the way real easy to do even heroic mr pandaria stuff you can just blow it up uh and i was doing you know siege of orgrimmar and i real we got there you, you kill garage and you get the thing to go talk to the uh the emperor and i landed to go talk to the emperor and i'm looking around me at the completely destroyed veil and he plants a tree and i'm sitting there going yeah, that'll fix it. A tree. <laughs> that, 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 that fixes but it's a it right really, up. It's a really special, bright, glowy tree. For all that Illidan was perfectly willing to like blow up Northrend to, to kill the Lich King, and, you know, boo-hoo, we, we'd lose Northrend. Oh, my no. Um, he's not even come close to blowing up as much stuff as I have at this point. Unless we blame the entire, like, Sundering on it. And I think that one's Malfurion's. I really do. Yeah, it I, is. Would, I, would, I would agree with that, yeah. I just... I guess for me, where I'm having a problem, right? We had this this impression of Illidan that was introduced in the War of the Ancients trilogy. Okay, that's fine. We also had an impression of Tyrande that was introduced in the War of the Ancients trilogy. She came off as very young and very naive, which she kind of was in a way at that point in time because she was still young. And then we have what we got in Warcraft 3 where it's... You know, if we want to talk about character progression, I mean, look at Tyrande. She looked like she was stone cold in Warcraft 3. And then Stormrage came out and it looked like she had regressed right back into that whole teenage whatever, which was weird. But if you look at Illidan and, and in particular how he progressed, you know, we we got him in the War of the Ancients and he was very stuck on Tyrande. And then we got him in Warcraft 3 and he was still kind of stuck on Tyrande. And then he took off, right? The Illidan novel gave him some added depth that was not there in those other books. And I really appreciated that. And it showed that he had moved on, or at least that was the impression that I had gotten, was that he had moved on. And then we get to Legion, and we get to these cinematics in Legion, and all of a sudden, it's like somebody hit the rewind button and said, no, never mind, we're going to go back to that whole fixation thing. Like, it just doesn't feel right. Is that just me, or...? I think if if they, I'm waiting to see what they do next because I don't think it's over. Yeah. Um. If Illidan is simply just I love you, Taranda, then yeah, that would that would just bother me. But if it isn't just about love at this point, if it's more about you know the idealization of your childhood and so forth, there, there's ways it could be done that wouldn't drive me nuts. Here's my thing though. One thing I'd love to see, I would absolutely love to see this, would be for Taranda and Illidan to have a meeting in which she goes, "Would you effing grow up? We were kids." I didn't pick you. Get over it. Because it has been 10,000 years. Save our people because there are people. Not because you have some insane notion that if you just do enough stuff, you get me. I'm not a prize. I am not, you know, I am not your reward for being good. I didn't pick Malfurion because he was just good enough. He didn't fill my meter. He didn't do a rep grind with me. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's That's the thing that we really need to have we need to have a Taronda Illidan scene where she 
gets to tell him to stop it. And the because that is, is the thing, you know? And, and there's been opportunities for that in the past with their interactions that could have happened behind the scenes that we just never knew. I'd like to see that happen, too. I just, it, it bothers me. And yeah, anyway, so, um, Droney, I'm not, I, I don't think that really answers your question so much as it was just us kind of doing a lot of rambling. But hey, thank you for the uh, indicator anyway. At least we got to talk about eyes and Malfurion's strange cosplay tendencies. I can straight up answer that I don't think that Malfurion is the reason Illidan does anything. No. Yeah, I agree. No, I don't think he's even a consideration. Like, his brother, in some ways, it feels like he thinks that his brother is beneath him. And then in other ways, it feels like that that relationship kind of developed over time, particularly in Warcraft three, when they meet again, where it's like, he just wants his brother's approval, which is also a little bit odd because he, he didn't, you know, there, there was kind of a tentative peace between the two of them at the end of Warcraft three or at the end of their interaction in Warcraft three, where it was like, are we cool? We're cool. Okay. Get out. Thanks. <laughs> See you never. Anyway. Uh, our next question is from Phoenix. Moonguard Horde, who says, shout out the guild, Disciples of Thrall. So shout out to Disciples of Thrall. Um, and they ask, so when we fight Rakish, and I really wish that I could roll my R with this, because Velen does it every... I love how Velen says his name. Rakish. Rakish. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I can't quite do it. Anyway, he says, so when we fight Rakish and find out he's Velen's son, he's been changed much like Kil'jaeden and the other Eridar lords. I'm not saying he's a full-on demon lord, but he is a demon for all intents, yes? If so, did we really kill him or just send him back to the nether? Love the podcast, Phoenix. That's a good question. What do you guys think? I think if we just send him back to the nether, then Velen's reaction wouldn't have been quite so extreme. Well, I mean, we would assume that Velen would feel it or know it, right? Like, we don't know what Velen really, truly does know about killing a demon. Like, he only knows what the lights reveal to him. So possible, it is entirely possible, but we don't know because we also don't was know. Was he mad because we killed his son or was he mad because this was the indicator that, oh, Kill Jaden pulled a number and full on corrupted my kid and he's a demon now. He's not my kid anymore. Or was it one of those things where Velen thought that he could redeem or cure his son and we kind of did our thing before he got the chance? That's a good question. Because if if is if it's a reaction to now his kid's out of reach of him, you know, then that could totally be it too. It is could that also why be he wants to go to Argus? And I was just going like, to say that. That could be his entire motivation for wanting to go to Argus. I'm going to go to Argus and I'm going to pick up my, my kid, kid and I'm going to bring him home. And then he's going to turn and he's going to look at uh, Kill Jane. And he's like, don't you talk to me or my son ever again. And he's going to leave. <laughs> what do you think, Rossi? I honestly don't know. Um, I was when we killed him. I actually remember even saying something along the lines of, yeah, isn't this kind of a bit much? He'll be back in 20 minutes. I mean, but I don't know. The how rest long of it... them all respawn. So why yeah. wouldn't he? I don't know how long it takes demons to come back. Like, for instance, um, Tychondria showed up on the Broken Shore. That dude hasn't been back since Warcraft 3, so that's a 10-year respawn timer. Uh, whereas Balnazar comes we, we back We murdered every him week. real well. Sylvanas didn't. Was it Sylvanas that took no, care that of him? No, Illidan. Illidan, Illidan took care of him. Which one did Sylvanas take care of? Was she... Uh, Veramothras, too, but also uh, Detherok. Detherok. That's but the one had... I'm thinking of in Warcraft 3. She didn't kill Detherok, though. She had Veramothras do it. Oh. And Veramothras obviously 
did it because you know he didn't want to get cacked himself right but clearly they they kind of went into that fight both winking and nodding at each other like you know oh no don't kill me it's against our ways <laughs> i must my brother okay. do the whole See, thing clutch the chest dramatically I'll ah see you in five minutes right yeah i'll call you i'll be back later i'll text you when i get to the nether Good. yeah make sure balnazar's in on the loop okay yeah. <laughs> so yeah that whole thing is yeah i don't know was was Rob, rikish he's in, an Ar- he's an eridar though right? okay in yeah, that encounter though in that encounter when you go to like look at him talk to him whatever does he come up as a demon i don't remember i didn't i didn't look mm. I no he, I'm gonna comes have up, to... he comes up as an eridar with a class if you have any of the uh the plates i think he comes up as like a, a paladin class um on the bars but that's basically like what all npcs do so I'm just wondering, like, if I took a demon hunter in there, I haven't, I haven't leveled my demon hunter yet. I, I, I have them set up. I just haven't leveled them yet. But if you took a demon hunter in there, and did the whole like sea demon thing, would he show up as a demon? Oh, we probably will. I, I think he probably counts as a demon. Cause all the other Eridar do. I mean, obviously, Kill Jaden and Archimon do. Yeah, and you know, like Malchazar or Jaraxxus, they do. Yeah. Okay. That definitely does put a whole twist on the thing, though. If he's a demon, like I said, maybe Velen was angry not because we killed his son, but because we killed his son before he could see if he could actually like make him not yep. be a demon anymore. Well, like, look at Sakarthar in Warlords. I mean, we kill him and he comes back during the raid. I mean, right. you know, granted, he's not he doesn't have a body yet, but he, he his essence comes back. So who knows? Maybe maybe he's still out there. But that that. I don't know. It's very possible that Velen could have been that upset just because he finally f- realized, oh, my God, that was a you this whole time. Who knows? I don't know. Okay. It could also be a case of us. You know, we, we don't know a whole lot about what happened to the Eridar really afterwards and how they actually like fit into the Burning Legion. We just have fought them a couple times and maybe we just lump them in with demons. So we just think they're demons. I don't know. There, there's a there's a dozen different things that could possibly be going on with it. But yeah, I don't. well, I guess we're going to find out soon enough. It'll be fun. Okay, so our next email is from Chris, a.k.a. Norinrad of Realm Magtheridon, a.k.a. Starhammer of Realm Wormrest Accord. That's a mouthful, Chris. We're just going to call you Chris. Wait a minute, Chris. Um, Are you making Silver Surfer references, Chris? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to call you out. Yeah, that, yep. I, I, appro- I approve of the Norinrad. Okay. So uh, Chris says, good afternoon. First off, I love your show. My question is, if demons can't die, if when you kill them, their soul or whatever goes back to their home world and they wait to be called back through the portal, then how is that different than what we do as players? We can't quote unquote die. We respawn. We run back from the graveyard and fight on. Is there a connection? Will the next playable faction be demons? Best regards, Chris. What do you guys think? I very much doubt that the next playable faction will be demons. Um, I think Demon Hunter is probably as close as we're going to get to that. Can we yeah. get the Nightfall in as a playable race? Because I'd totally be on board with that. Nightfallen or or Nightborn? Nightborn, Nightfallen, whatever. The crazy elves in Siramar, I would love to be those. So those guys really don't... They just strike me like you'd just be a, a kind of night elf. It would just be a night elf skin. You'd be you'd be right. more evil. You'd be a more evil night elf. It basically be like playing a drow is what. They're I'm... not even they're not even evil night elves. You know what they are? They're they're Renaissance French night elves. They're yeah, seriously like 
they're like you know the sun king night elves look they look cool they've got like that whole ley line crystal stuff embedded like markings they look neat and i would like to be one i just like the fact that they live in basically menzo barazon yeah that too seriously to me it's just Paris. i'm just kind of in love with suramar altogether so <laughs> but uh in terms of the whole idea of you know what's the difference i think to a certain degree the fact that we come back is a game mechanic and it's not actually in lore aside from like one or two kind of goofy tongue in cheek quests. Like the one that comes to mind is a zero ghost being love with the spirit healer. But if you wanted an actual lore thing for it, I honestly think you're, you're looking at the wrong tree instead of looking at demons. You should be looking at Odin and the Valkyr Mm -hmm. because the spirit healer and a Valkyr are very similar. And the Valkyr have outright performed the same role as the Spirit Healer in several occasions. Uh, especially if you're a Death Knight and you do the Death Knight starting zone, uh, you get a Valkyr who comes out and reses you when you die, like during that experience. So so I had a really kind of funny here, and, and I'll share a little bit of old weird nerd Joe here. The very first fanfic I ever wrote for Warcraft way back in the day was creation of the hearthstone of what it meant to you and it had to do with this idea the fact that you know you're being brought through the world as this new adventurer and you're being told that you're here to defend the entire world and as the weight of this sinks in and as you agree to the contract of yes i'm going to protect azeroth the hearthstone is created in your bag and at that moment you're inexperienced you're intrinsically tied to the planet. You can't die as long as the planet doesn't die because you've basically already entered into a pact with Azeroth at that point. This is before we knew anything about the Titans or, or anything about that. It was all, you know, the vanilla mishmash of, you know, this is just kind of cool crap. Um, but I always had that in my mind that like we as players sort of have this, this contract, this deal with the planet that we're living on and she won't let us die. Like that's the thing. Like we die and she's like, Nope, get back in there. Go. You still have work to do. I can't. I no, 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 no. You made a deal. Let's go. So it was always in my mind that that's what it was. It was that the planet wouldn't necessarily let us cross over. And I that, don't have hands, so you need to do this exactly, stuff for me. Exactly, because the Titan Watchers are gone. Their races are all scattered to the wind. We are all that's left to defend her. She won't let us die. That's my. That was my whole thing. That was from twelve years ago, folks. There you go. You're welcome. Well, I got to tell you, the Titan Watchers aren't gone. I got like four of them in my garrison thing. I, like, you know what I mean. Hall. I'm talking about like back in vanilla when no, we I didn't know. know that. I'm just saying, I, I, every so often, Thorim just shows up and hits people and yells, crawl near for me. So <laughs> that, dude's, that dude's around all constantly. He, he won't go away. But no, I, I, I do think that the, the Valkyr and their relationship to spirit healers is something that could come up. Like the spirit healers turn out to be like rogue Valkyr that didn't want to do what Odin wants because Odin is a jerk, but they also didn't want to be like evil and do what the Lich King wanted or do what Hela Helia wanted. And I got to tell you, I'm surprised that Helia and the Lich King never came to blows because he was totally stealing her bet straight what up. We know about there could have been other stuff that happened in the background. He stole the Valkyr. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was her deal. She's the one that steals Valkyr. And and the souls of of Rykul? Oh no 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 that's her deal. So I'm I'm totally I wish I want to see Bolvar and Helia come to blows. Like I really want to see a, a a full scale battle between them. Plus I I mean I didn't play the Horde side yet. I haven't leveled the Horde character through yet. Um I have an Orc warrior ready to go, but I haven't played her yet. So I want to know 
like what was Sylvanas's deal exactly? I mean, I know she got the lantern. That's that's what I think. That's what it was. I think she made a deal with Helia to get more Valkyr. Um, and no, no, I know that, but I want to know, like, you know, I want to I want to be a fly on the wall during that meeting, like when when Sylvanas is talking to Helia, like, and Helia's like, you know, goes for it. Why does Helia go for it? just to just to tweak Ayer because you know Ayer took her place? I mean, yeah. well, you actually um, you never get the full thing on the Horde side. You kind of come up yeah. with the tail end of the conversation. You don't you don't really see much more on the Horde side than you do on the Alliance side, which is a little weird and shady. But that's kind of what Sylvanas is all about. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, you don't get that clearer picture, unfortunately. But it's def one of the things that's interesting is it's definitely different than the way the demons work because the whole Valkyr thing is that you're they take the souls of the fallen and bring them to they're supposed to bring them up to the halls of valor to be given new Stormforged bodies. That's what's supposed to happen. And keep in mind that that by supposed to happen, I mean that's the horrible thing Odin came up with that he had no way, shape, or form was authorized to do because it changed the Titans' order for the world. Like this was never supposed to be. That this is not part of the Titans' plan for the world. And when he was called on it by you know his daughter, she was like, "No, the Titans didn't want us to do that. We're not supposed to like pull our souls back out." Of where they're supposed to go we're supposed to just leave them there that's the titans created this world this way for the reason and he's like nope did it to her so yeah there's there's a lot titans of... aren't here anymore i'm gonna run things how i want yeah so there's a oh, lot he's kind there. of a jerk yeah very much there's no kind of about it he really just is a jerk get a good voice actor i mean i'm really fond of, of braytac the the immortal titan watcher but nevertheless yeah odin's a jerk <laughs> so i don't know if that answers your question chris but hey there you go. Um, I think really, though, when we're talking about it, when we're talking about like the, you know, the running back from the graveyard and things like that, I think that's just a matter of it's game mechanics and it's not really explained so much. Um, there is a moment in the Demon Hunter starting experience where if you choose to sacrifice yourself instead of the other guy who's also there waiting to be sacrificed, um, Illidan pops up with a little text bubble thing that says oh you possess an immortal demon soul like i do you can no, come back no 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 and you have to say it right an immortal demon soul thank you okay <laughs> anyway um, that's the best i can do i'm sorry <laughs> but he says this and it implies that there is like an in-game reason for your demon hunter anyway to be coming back the rest of Azeroth's residents really don't have that. Um, I believe Resurrection was kind of the... Uh, which short story was that? It was uh, the Varian Wren, Sins, Sins of Our Fathers? Yeah, the one where his son does it. Yeah, where his son does it. His son resurrects him and everybody's like, wow, that was a really cool thing that you did. And there's kind of that implication that that's not something that happens very often. And even in the story, they basically made it really clear that it only worked because Varian was like right there and it just happened. Yeah. So it's not it's it's a game mechanic thing. Um, it's an interesting way of looking at it connection wise. But yeah, I don't think that there's any like lore reason for those two things to be connected together. All right. So our next email is kind of a lengthy one, but this was a really interesting one and I really liked it. Um, This is from AJ who says, hey, watchers, the Fury Warrior artifact quest has players fighting one of Helia's Gvaldir. When he dies, he says he sees only darkness, calls out to Helia and shouts in pain as Helia tells him his torment will be unending. We've seen other dying characters describe a similarly vast darkness, namely Sylvanas in Edge of Night and Arthas in Ice Crown Citadel when he dies in that cinematic thing. 
he says, Father, I see only darkness or whatever. Anyway, in Edge of Night, Sylvanas and Arthas' souls, both being tormented with feelings of pain and hopelessness, are able to sense each other within this darkness. I had assumed that Arthas and Sylvanas went to some form of vague afterlife, the kind that's usually no more than a comeuppance delivering storytelling device. But now that I've seen firsthand a dying character describe an all-encompassing encompassing darkness as Helia drags its soul to Helheim for an eternity of torment, I believe the bad guys we've killed on Azeroth all end up in Helheim, making Helheim the definitive hell of Azeroth and Helia the definitive jailer of the damned. What are your thoughts on this theory? Oh, I gotta tell you one thing before we even talk about this. Mm-hmm. The the guy who pilots the boat, the Nagfalar, yes. uh, I can't remember his name, I think it's like I can't remember the guy who's the the, the Chiron figure. The, the yeah, boat. the captain or the he, he uses the same model as Algalon. Yes, and yep. in his description, they talk about how behind his cloak it's full of stars. So the implication is that he's a constellar like Algalon, which would put him a step above a Titan Watcher. Oh, uh, Harboron, you mean? Yeah, Harboron. Yes, and his name is even Harboron. Um, the implication is is that Helia made a deal with this guy. Because what Odin did is such a violation of the Titan's order that this this fallen Constellar went for it and, and made a deal with her. And that's what he's doing. He's he's actually a Constellar, and he's given her the ability to, to maintain Helheim as a, as a separate realm. Um, and that's something that's really fascinating to me, because I think we were just talking about Arthas never having come to blows with Helia, but maybe he did. Maybe he's in there somewhere. Or, you know, maybe he ended up in a sword because, I mean, my Death Knight fought him. Uh, so I don't know. But there's there's a lot going on there that's really interesting and we haven't seen the the last of it yet. They're going to have a raid, right? Yeah, they are, actually. Um, In the next, well, the next patch that's coming out in 7.1. Is it 7.1? Yeah, it's 7.1. They're coming out with Karazhan that's going to be like five-man mega dungeon thing. And then they're also coming out with a mini raid, which is basically going to cover and... Theoretically, and Trials I'm quoting here, yeah, I'm quoting here, it's going to resolve the events of Stormheim. Um, how it resolves them, we don't know, but Helia is one of those people that are going to be in that raid. Yeah, one of the first things you do in that raid, and this is just from what we know from what they've leaked, um, you will be fighting Odin again. Right. Um, that that entire counter is different. You will be fighting Garm, um, and then you will be fighting Hel- uh, Helia. So those three things right there that seems like the culmination of that entire story is going to happen in those three encounters now um aj did have another paragraph here where he said the biggest inconsistency that he noticed is that helheim's um basically opposite the halls of valor doesn't fill the same role as heaven unless heaven and warcraft is an exclusive clubhouse for plate wearers with anger management issues in which case well done rossi turns out you were right all along may your pure warrior soul free from the taint of mana bars and weapons smaller than a school bus bask forever in the light of odin's beard but that that is an interesting comparison though because if helheim is hell then what is the equivalent of heaven? We know that there's some kind of equivalent of a higher plane because up in Northrend, you know that one quest? Yep, where the we raise the guy with the light. Bread and bread, yeah. We, yep. we take him and we like help him basically ascend despite being infected with the uh, plague of undeath. Um, and the Naru step in to help with that. So, See, I, here's the thing. is I don't think that Helheim was intended to be hell. No. Nope. I think what happened is is that Helia 
is grabbing for power. Yes. Is it, she, when she got is rid she of Is she grabbing for power or is she trying to reestablish an order that should have been there all along? No, I think she's it's she's not. grabbing for power to, to overthrow Odin, basically. She's, I mean, yeah. don't forget, she's driven by heat and revenge at this point. Plus, I mean, if you see what she's doing, I mean, Helheim was never supposed to be a place like when, when it was originally created, the original thing that, that Odin did to her, the original, pre, you know, this place didn't exist until Odin did that. He was creating a place to divert specifically mm-hmm. the souls of the worthy Valkyr, I mean, Vrykul, and only the Vrykul. He didn't want anybody else because he's a racist. He only wanted Titanforged souls. He only wanted the souls of people who were created originally by the Titans as part of the original ordering of Azeroth, and he really only wanted Vrykul because those are the ones who served in his army. Those are the ones he liked the most. Not only that, but I would argue that if Helheim was part of the natural order of things, you wouldn't have to shove souls into cages like you do all throughout Helheim and on the uh, the Flogger or Flogger, Nafelgar or whatever. I can never pronounce those words. Nafelgar, um, thank you. Thank you. Um, Harbron wouldn't basically shove you in a, a, a crate and then stick you on the boat. Because if it was part of the natural order of things, why would you have to force people to do it? Right. So. And there's also the also the other interesting thing about that to me is, too, is if you look at the Warcraft uh, cosmology uh, and we've talked about this before in the past, we know that there are several planes of existence. And we got there, the Shadowlands thing going on and we have the Shadowlands thing going on. We don't know, aside from Helheim and the Halls of Valor, where the dead go. We don't. We have assumptions, but we've never witnessed it firsthand. One A thing, lot of, too, though, one thing, too, before we get into that. Helheim is in the Shadowlands. Yeah, yes. which puts it on the same plane as that place that you go to when you go to get your horse as a death knight. Yes, exactly. Which is... Full of dead people. Full of dead people, but also very conveniently... Um, but they're not... Like the upside like, down. Yeah, it's the upside down. Oh, it is. no. It really is. <laughs> it's like our world, but darker. It is, kind of, now that I think about it. And, and yeah, the Shadowlands, as far as that's concerned... When you go to get your horse, that's not Titan Forge people wandering around in there. Those are dead souls of like presumably humans. humans. Yeah. Humans are Titan Forged. Technically, yeah, I guess they yeah. are. They're kind of descendants of Titan Forge. So okay, never mind. It's actually point, weird. point invalidated. But it's weird to think about, isn't it? Like it's just like the the main, the original paladins on Azeroth, the, the original races that could be paladins were humans and dwarves. And that was it. Yeah, and they were both Titan Forged. And who taught this Paladin secrets? Apparently, Tyr. And Tyr is the most powerful warrior of the original Titan Keepers, like the Watchers of the Watchers, even of the original nine, the the effective, you know, the the Watchers of Azeroth. Tyr was their strongest warrior. It's said multiple times, and he's the one that taught the Paladin art. There's there's something about the light in Paladin stuff that has nothing to do with the Halls of Valor. The Halls of Valor are very much about just being a good killer. Right. Being yep. a good warrior, there is m- something more, and I feel like Helheim and the Halls of Valor are kind of like trying to steal the role of this other place, and it might be the other place that Bride and Brad went to, it might be the other place that the that the um, Naru are connected to. It might have more to do with Loon than it has to do with anything Titan. I don't know. There's there's interesting stuff going on here. So AJ, um, hope that addresses what you were talking about. At least but, we but, talked about it a little bit. I will say that, you know, dude, you're right. That that would be pretty cool from, from my perspective. Yeah. <laughs> only, it turns out only we get to go to heaven. Awesome. Let's, <laughs> it's let's just us. Okay. All right. Let's let's no, let's all just jump someplace. Yeah, let's all just jump someplace. 
Okay, so this next email is really, really super long, and I'm not going to go over everything in it, but this is from Usagi Senin, who says, Dear Anne, Matt, and Joe, I had an idea bubble up. I posted this as a comment on the last Know Your Lore, but I thought it'd be interesting enough to talk about on the podcast, and it is actually pretty interesting here. Um, They say... What if Sargeras is a corrupted titan? Somewhere along the way, way, he gets a little old god goo in him, maybe back when he was just another planet. Not enough to fully corrupt him into a void titan, although he might be, since we don't know exactly what one looks like, but enough to start putting ideas in his head. When he came across that old god-infested world and had to destroy it, maybe it was the little voice of madness in his head that convinced him it was the only way. And when the Pantheon tried to talk him down, he knew, quote-unquote, that the only course of action action was to kill them all supporting evidence and then there's this big long list of supporting evidence but um i think that the important thing to point out here um because they're all kind of along the same lines they point out that deathwing was kind of the same way that whole destroy everything everything must die chaos reigns blah 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 because of the whispers of the old gods it was like deathwing was sort of trying to do the same thing that sargeras was but Sar- you know, Deathwing was working for the old gods. Sargeras is not. Well, what if Sargeras is? So what do you guys think about that? Rather than being like corrupted because he saw the void and all this other stuff, he's corrupted because he was actually touched by the old gods back when, see before he became a Titan. But then I don't, why would he, if the old gods want to corrupt a Titan and bring it over fully to their side, it, it almost see, doesn't fit, right? Because then why would he be trying to destroy Azeroth? Why would he destroy the, the old god infested world. Um, and Here's I think it's thing. a little bit different than Deathwing too. Here's the thing about this though. I don't think necessarily he has to be corrupted by the old gods, but I think he might actually be corrupted by their paymasters. And I don't, I don't like, I don't like when we use the word corrupted because I don't think he's, I don't think he's just got magical corruption in him and he's crazy. I think that he looked at the situation and his Titan brain couldn't handle it. He looked at the void Lords. He looked at their work and he couldn't take it. So in essence, this is what they've always said, that he looked into the void and the void looked back into him and he could not handle what he saw. And he went he co- a little Lulu. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, is that that doesn't mean he got a little t- old God goo in him. And now he's like, he, it's not the same thing as Deathwing because Deathwing suffered and, and went mad from having to try and contend with these beings throughout all eternity. Well, not only that, but also because he was they had that whole thing pinned on him where it was like, here's your destiny. This is what's going to happen to you. Well, see you later on top of hearing all that, too. Right. Yeah. Like, but in the case of Sargeras, I think it's much more along the lines of the Titans are orderly beings. They are beings of order. They like to order things. That's one of the things they do. They come to a place and they try to establish an order there. So given the situation he was given, he's looking at the universe and saying, okay, wait, the universe has a flaw that I never understood. We didn't know about. There's a default flaw in our order. We need to, we need to basically remove this flaw so we can order it properly. That's all logical. There's nothing, there's nothing insane about Sargeras if you accept his first precept. That's that's why it's an interesting it's an interesting contrast to like somebody who's just listening to whispers and you know going crazy because the whispers are tormenting them. I don't think there's anything whispering in Sargeras's head. I think he looked at the situation and came to a bad conclusion. He essentially made a logic error um, and, and assumed that he was correct. Yes, because how could he be wrong? How now, could he be? He's Sargeras. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of arrogance. He's pulling here. a Gaston on the universe. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So far, oh. the, the Beast has been very big on this. this there we episode. go. All right. 
But seriously, like, if you we're just getting ready for Karazhan in seven point one, man. That's all. Yeah, but if you look at Sargeras, really, like, if you look at at the part, like, the part in Chronicle where he destroys that world, he didn't want to destroy that world. No, he absolutely did not. He just felt he had no other choice. It was the only choice he had. And he goes to the Pantheon, and he expects them to help him. He's like, "This is what I did. What do we do now?" And they're like, "That was horrible. You shouldn't have done that." He's like, "You're, you're. We don't care. That's done." Um. I'm talking about this problem with these Void Lord beings. How do we stop them? I can't believe you destroyed that world. Oh, guys, can we get past the one world? The entire universe is what we're talking about here. And they just wouldn't get off it. And so finally he left in disgust. He's like, no, fine. I will handle this on my own if you won't help me. And from that moment to the part where like everything he did, it's really fascinating because this happens several times in Warcraft. When somebody like somebody starts doing the wrong thing and then they justify it. Like, Sargeras doesn't remind me of old god crow to people. He reminds me of Arthas. Yep. Because Sargeras does the same thing. He does this one really bad thing, and then he justifies it. Like, I had to do this. I had to destroy that world. I had to kill that Titan soul, because if I didn't, we were looking at a Void Titan. So I had to do it. And you won't help me. You won't back me up. So I'm going to keep doing this stuff on my own. And then once he's done that one bad thing, the next bad thing, well, I need an army. Okay, so... I got to keep my, I, I don't have any, like Arthas burned the boat and kept, you know, he hired mercenaries, burned his own boats, kept his people there. Sargeras goes to Mardun, the world he made, and smashes it open because he needs soldiers. If he can't get them from the Titans, he'll get them from his, the, the Titans' worst enemies because he knows those guys and he knows how to kill them so he can threaten them. And of course, that's despicable. I mean, think about it. He conscripts the, the, an army of the worst monsters in existence and threatens to to murder them if they don't do what he says. Is that something he would have done before? No, but now he's he's gone a little further. Now he has to justify that. It's kind of interesting because in a way it sort of mirrors the Arthas story. Like the two of them kind of mirror each other where Arthas was desperately trying to do the right thing. And he only saw that one path to take in order to do it. And by taking that path, he ultimately descended into this creature of darkness, basically. Exactly. Um, Yeah, very much. But he was doing it all for what he believed was the right cause. It was just that path that he took led him down the road of corruption. Um, When we see the Legion, we see the Legion as monsters who want to kill us and who, in fact, even take delight in our pain and suffering. But Sargeras doesn't take delight in our pain and suffering. He doesn't, for all we know, he doesn't care about our pain and suffering at all. We're not important to him. Why would, why would we? Like, yeah. why would any of that matter? We're specks. We're like motes of dust compared to this dude. Really? Exactly. Yeah. He just, and, and he's looking at the universe and saying, okay, this is painful, but it has to be done. These world souls have to be destroyed so they won't be corrupted. And then once everything's been destroyed and there's no threat from the void, we can reorder creation so that the void can't affect it. Like, it's all logical if you accept his free pre- his first precept. Just like everything Arthas did made sense if you accepted his first precept. Until he got to the point where he'd gone too far and he couldn't justify it anymore. Well, he could justify it all he wanted to himself, but it still didn't make sense to other people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, Usagi, I hope that addresses what you were talking about anyway um joe did you have anything else to add with that as far as sargeras and his descent and but that's the thing like and i'm with rossi i don't think that he's necessarily like corrupted and crazy i think 
he made a choice and he made the best choice that he thought he could. And he's just following through on that choice with whatever justifications he can. It's not necessarily crazy or corruption. It's just, I don't know how to handle this. This is all I know how to do. This is what I'm going to apply to the situation until it works. And look at too, like when we, we talked about this a while back, but when he faced the Pantheon, when once you've killed Agrimar, that there's no going back. Agrimar came to you, put his weapons down, defenseless in front of you and he Sargeras had two choices admit he was wrong or kill Agrimar and he refused to admit that there was even a possibility that he could be wrong which is kind of the Titan thing right like if you look at it Titans don't believe that they could ever be wrong it's it's a rare day no they work in absolutes and as far as they're concerned they are the ultimate absolute and at the end of the day he's still a Titan so his like Rossi says his Titan brain is going to be like well I can't possibly be wrong so this is what I have to do yeah, he, he did the math and he's like, no, you don't understand. You haven't seen it. They're like, no, we have seen it. We even saved a planet. And he's like, no, you didn't. You It's not fixed. You're in error. And they're you like, just no, you're... thought you did, but it's yeah. not all better. Yeah, all you've done is, is delay. It's inevitable suffering. I'm right. You're wrong. No, we're right. You're wrong. No, it's, just, it's two computers arguing math at each other. That's the problem. Yep. So, yeah, Usagi. I don't think that it's a case where the old gods have had anything to do with Sargeras because Sargeras is very blatantly against the old gods and against the Void Lords. He wants nothing to do with either of them. The reason he's got this Burning Crusade going to begin with is so that he can put a stop to what they're doing. So in a way, it's weird. It's weird how we've got like this, you know, three-pronged fight going on where it's like we're obsessed with getting rid of the Burning Legion. The Burning Legion is obsessed with getting rid of us, but both of us are kind of like ignoring the whole Void Lord aspect of things right now and the whole Old God aspect of things right now. Anyway, so um, our next email, basically the next email, there's there's a point being made in their first in their first. It's not really a question, but it's something that I want to talk about because it involves the Nightborn, and I really dig the Nightborn. I believe we've said this already. And then the second, the actual question that they've got also ties into another email that we got that was kind of the same question. So I figured we'd go ahead and address this first thing with the Nightborn, and then we talk about this other stuff. All right? Sure. Convoluted. Anyway, so this is from Vlad, and Vlad says... uh, He says, hello, watchers. I've just listened to your latest lore watch and I have a few observations and some questions. Number one, just as you mentioned in the podcast, addiction to magic is a recurring topic for elven populations. The Nightborn, however, are addicted to magic based on the essence of a different titan as the Nightwell gets its power from the Eye of Amonthol, whereas all the other elves are addicted to Azeroth's magic via the Well of Eternity, a wound seeping with Azeroth's essence and all the other wells created with water from it. I'm going to stop right here because I need to point out something here. And people people seem to be viewing the Nightborn and their dependence on Ark Wine and their dependence on the Nightwell's energy as an addiction to magic. It's not an addiction. They feed off of the Nightwell. Their physiology they, has actually changed. They've closed them. When they close themselves off from society, they were in a bubble. And there was only so much food in that bubble. And once that food was gone, all they had left to turn to was the Nightwell. So their physiology adapted, and now they take this Arquine and they use it as sustenance. So when you see the Withered, it's not that the Withered are addicted to magic and they're like junkies that haven't gotten their fix or anything. They're starving. 
they're withering away. They're literally starving to death and they starve to the point where they can no longer think of anything but finding some kind of food or sustenance. Um, so there's, it, it's two very distinctly different things going on here because when you look at uh, The Wretched, I wrote a, a column this weekend where I was talking about um, people if they wanted to role play as Nightborn or Nightfallen. And I, and I went into this a little bit because I do find this a fascinating concept, right? When you look at the Blood Elves and you look at the Wretched, the Wretched aren't there because they haven't gotten their fix or whatever. The Wretched are the Wretched because they found a source of magic and latched onto it and milked it for all it was worth and it drove them nuts. They're a byproduct of overindulgence, whereas the Withered, they're simply starving to death. And it has nothing to do with addiction. It's just they don't have the food that they require to survive. I mean, that's at a point where you, when you're doing the uh, Suramar quests, one of mm-hmm. the points is made is that the the Wither don't just want magic. They will eat people. Yeah. They will eat you. They've that's lost they their do. sanity. They've completely lost their sanity because and, they're yeah, because... so hungry that they and... will eat whatever they can in an effort to try and not be starving and that's why the ancient mana works. Right. Because it gives them any it's it's still mana. They they, they don't it's not the different essence. The the, the we we actually we should go on with more of the question before I talk about this, but Okay. Um well the other thing that they pointed out here. What other places suffused with Amanthul's essence, the veil of eternal blossoms? Raden received Amanthul's essence after the Pantheon was defeated and Norganon saved their spirits but extracted it from himself, stored it in the veil, blah blah yada yada. It's surprising how fast Nightborn wither when deprived of that source, almost as if they are truly alien beings on Azeroth without sustenance. I'm not saying that they're not Azerothian, they're still elves, but exposure to a different Titan's essence has linked them inexorably to that essence. And then they go on to talk about a storyline that I haven't finished yet, so I'm not going to talk about it. But basically the thing that I want to point out here, because there was no question framed within all of this, they just started talking, right? Is that the Nightfallen and the Withered aren't, they aren't addicted to magic. It, It has nothing to do with the essence of a Titan or anything else. It's just the Nightwell. And they've evolved and they took 10,000 years to do it, but they evolved to the point where they are dependent on feeding on the Nightwell to survive, which is why I'm kind of surprised that they took that deal with Gul'dan to begin with. Like, why would they do that? Because they were going to be dead immediately as opposed to being dead in a few years. Right. And plus, yeah. some of them are obviously buying into the idea that the Legion can supply them. See, here's the thing, too, though. They're dependent on the Nightwell, but obviously we, we, we see, like, the thing I wanted to bring up is we see that they can take magic from other sources so the idea that it's they don't like it very much but they can yes yeah they can take the ancient mana they can take ley line energy they they aren't limited to the night well well dependent on amonthul's essence what if i go ahead i'm sorry this is really interesting because i just wound up doing one of these these quests too uh with the felsworn nobles in suramar I haven't and, done those yet. <laughs> yeah, but like, so it makes me, it, it, I was thinking about this last night, and I'm wondering if they can take any magic and, and live off of it, maybe they assume that they could also live off of fell magic or fell energy too. And so that may have helped like influence their decisions. Like, well, we just need anything to get along with it. So yeah, we can enter this world. And if this world is just covered in fell energy, we'll just figure out how to consume that instead. Well, I mean, you, you. I know you guys have both done the quest where the noble is a smuggler. He smuggles that woman in, and it turns out he smuggles her to Felsold. Yep. Yes. Um, he's very clearly making a deal with the demons for power. 
that he says so. When you kill him, that's what he's yelling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very yeah. Clear it's that not food that he's after. He's straight up after power. Yeah, and a lot of the of the the Nightborn are see they have a very decadent society in the in in the classical sense. They're decadent because they're looking at the world and they say, "Oh yeah, this is the end. We're gonna die. We can't possibly survive. How do we want to die? Do we want to die fighting in the streets, or do we want to keep our pleasures and and get to go out like you know as like a this. civilized society. Yeah, and they a lot of them are going along with it because heck, sure we'll die, but we'll get to die, you know, still we still will have the night well, we'll still have We'll be fiddling while Rome burns. Yeah, at least we got we, we get to go out the way we've lived. Um and I understand that. Like there's the Arkendor storyline is interesting. I, I've gotten a little further, but I haven't gotten to the end of it either. And uh one of the things with the Arkendor story that's fascinating is because the Arkendor itself, when the Arkendor goes wrong it messes elves up just as bad. Um, if you've been, you've seen the Falderai, that's the Arkandor's fault. The Arkandor made them that. Um, not, that wasn't like, that's not some weird curse from someplace else. That's not because they weren't getting exposed to Amatul's essence. That's not the Legion. That's the Arkandor. The Arkandor can, can break down. And when it does, it can turn elves into big monster spider elves. So, so. how did it do it? I mean, was it like an instant sort of like in the fly? Honestly, I don't know, but that does seem to, like there's spiders everywhere around it and there's those crystalline crawlers everywhere around it. Right. So did it just like, whoops, oh no, genetic well, you know, I wonder, has been mixed. You know what, I'm actually I'm wondering about this because I was thinking about this the other day. Um, we know that crystal technology is kind of a, a it's a Titan thing too, right? And we know it's not right. just not just an hour thing, it's a Titan thing. If the Arkandor is old, ancient, like not just elven, but Titan magic or, or, or something like it's a seed of life that maybe was left behind. Um, what if it just scanned the local life when it didn't have any more energy, the ley lines stopped coming through it. It didn't have any more mana. And I was like, you know what? Crystals are good. Hey, that's a living thing made out of crystals. You know what? I'm going to go. This, this seems to be done. Okay. Screw it. Everything's a spider now. Like what, <laughs> what if it's reordering it based off of what's in the environment around it based off of the energy patterns. of it? I also don't know. I haven't gotten to the end of that storyline yet. I haven't finished that storyline either, but I'm sorry. <laughs> Screw it. Everything's a spider now. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> you set me into a coughing fit. I was like, I can't yes. breathe. I'm laughing too hard. Okay. Um. So yeah, Vlad, I don't know if that really addresses things, but you didn't really ask a question. You were just kind of posing some stuff. So I figured we should talk about it. Because like I said, I, I really like the Nightborn and the Nightfallen. And I like the fact that they were like this bubble of elven society that just sort of lived in that timeless bubble for 10,000 years and everything kind of stayed in intact and evolved even, you know, beyond, but like all of the different, the ranks and society and everything else, like social standings and things like that, that all stayed put. So it's weird. It's weird. I will um, say one other thing before we go on. Mm-hmm. There were two keepers that got Amatul's essence. Yeah. Well, the other one was Odin. Oh yeah. Of course, we don't talk about Odin because he's a big old jerk. So I, I actually think it's interesting to think about it in the context of the Halls of Valor and Helheim. Yeah. Because the Halls of Valor are glowing with power. Oh, absolutely. You kind of have to wonder what he did with that extra power he got from Amonthal. Well, he I think, couldn't I really think he do anything down on Azeroth with it. He was sort of pinned in the sky. But yeah. Um, I, I really think it was he just put it in his beard. <laughs> it's all in the beard. All right, so our next question 
like I said, Vlad had like a second question here, but then we've also got Enigma um, from Convert to Raid on Airy Peak, who also had kind of the same question. So we're going to talk about both of these. Vlad says, so I finished the Emerald Nightmare, defeated Xavius, and sealed the Rift of Aln. Is that it? If the Emerald Nightmare really is safe right now, this is a major victory against the old gods, but it doesn't seem to be portrayed like that in-game. And then... Enigma says, Greetings, watchers. I recently finished the Emerald Nightmare Raid. After defeating Xavius, we're told that the dream has been cleansed. But although we fight Xavius in the Rift of Aln, I can't get it out of my head. Where's Nizoth? With what we know at the end of the Stormrage novel, Nizoth was in the Rift, or so implied. While I believe that Blizzard is saving Nizoth for more of a reveal for Queen Ashara, I just feel like our job isn't done in the dream with an old god still around. So... Let's talk about that. I haven't finished The Emerald Nightmare myself um, because I'm doing it on LFR and we don't have the last wing yet. But I know you guys have raided. Have you guys mm-hmm. finished the raid? And is there an indication that there should be like like more of a resolution should be reflected in the rest of the world? Or I know of a spoiler thing. I'm going to let Joe talk first. And then after he's done, if he hasn't said anything, I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Way to put it all on me. Now, um... I it left me with some questions um, because it was one of those things that I don't think was celebrated like a large victory like you think it would. But I'm wondering if that has to do with the fact that we still have an old god infection in Azeroth. And even though we've sealed the rift, so to speak, um, there's nothing that says that that rift can't be reopened somewhere else or that the infection couldn't carry back over because we haven't defeated all of the old gods or or really like we haven't ripped them and off theoretically of we can't exactly so we don't know what that is so i'm thinking there's sort of a somber tone about it because at this point of multiple years in the game world we've kind of seen that yeah we've had these major victories we defeated Cthulhu and it was amazing and things are going to get better they didn't get better and we beat it we, we beat yog saran and things are going to get better they didn't get better like it, it seems to be that trend right like we have these major victories and then things don't get better so at, at this point it just struck me as more of a well we just have more to do so let's not celebrate let's just kind of go and do our thing okay, okay. first off we know nazoth's physical location is somewhere in the oceans okay good He's not physically in the, the Emerald Dream. He's physically on Azeroth, the old, the other, old gods. Kind of, kind of figured he was in the oceans, what with the whole puzzle box of Yogg-Saron thing. But, the deep slumber, but blah, 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 yeah. When you defeat Xavius, after you defeat Xavius, you go to a place where it's all cleansed. You, you get to see all the people that you fought, like there's an Ursox there and, and Cenarius is there and all that. That's great. So is this the, the dream of Ysera, who actually takes place in the, she's in the fight. She's in the Xavius. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you watch her walk around this place, she she walks to a cave. And if you follow her into the cave, the music gets different. The music is all the tinkly night elfy music. Like, you know, yay, we're in like Darnassus type music for a while. Then you go in the cave and the music turns into the sinister, haunting, kind of like almost Forsaken-y sounding music. Ooh, weird. And then the, the, the dream of Ysera walks into the cave, walks up to a certain point, And there looks a thing that looks vaguely like the Arkandor is there. Except it's not. It's called something like Essence of the Void. Oh, no. And it's just there in the cave, and you can't interact with it or do anything to it. It's just there. Yeah, and it's a tiny little thing just in this cave, which implies that, yeah, we've beaten it, but as long as... Here's the thing. As long as Nazoth exists, the, the Emerald Dream is in trouble because Nazoth is dreaming. Yep. 
That's the thing. The other two old gods are awake. Zoth is asleep and he's dreaming. And in his dreams, that's what the Emerald Nightmare is. It's his dreams. It's him dreaming. So did we stop it? Yeah, I guess we did. But as long as Nazoth is asleep, the Emerald Nightmare is a, con- is a continuous threat. Did we just wake Nazoth up? Oh, I'm sure we did. Just think about it. That's how do you end a dream? You die in a dream. You die in a dream. You wake up in real life. And so that's all there at the end. That's the end bit. There's there's videos of it online if you want to see it. I I went and spoiled myself because I had to. Um, because I wanted to know what was going on. Uh, we haven't gotten to Xavius yet, but this yeah, is that, interesting though. Yeah, and it, it's not resolved. You have no idea what that that cave is or why Ysera is. For that matter, I don't even know if this means Ysera will come back. You know how like Casenarius comes back. You kill him and he just comes back. Uh, I don't know if we're gonna see Ysera again. Now, because she's there, the dream of Ysera is in the raid. She's actually in the Xavius fight. She's part of the mechanics of the fight. Uh, much like when you fought Yogg-Saron and Ulduar and the Keepers all had stuff they did, she does something during the, the, the Xavius fight. It's a, it's, a, it's a big mechanic. So, I don't know. Lots of questions here. I don't, in terms of where Nazoth, though, Nazoth is physically not in the Emerald Dream. He never was. He was always physically on Azeroth. With the death of Yasharj, Nazoth is the biggest and most powerful of the old gods. In the land of Nyalatha, there is only sleep. Yeah, he's asleep, or at least he was. And yeah, it. I mean, the puzzle box of Yogg-Saron, there's like little bits and pieces in there. One of the things that it says is, in the sunken city, he lays dreaming. I, I have a feeling that, yeah, I don't think that we're going to deal with Nizoth this expansion. I have a feeling that if we do, it's going to be like one of the last things we do in the raid. But I more have a feeling that this is something that we're going to have to deal with later because right now it's all about the Legion and the Legion is the single biggest threat to Azeroth right now. You know, isn't um, like, aren't Satyrs and Xavius fascinating for the way they can be, they can work yeah. for both? Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit weird. It's a little odd because they got their powers. I mean, they got their powers from Sargeras. He gifted Xavius. And I'm using the term gifted very loosely here because it wasn't really much of a gift. But it seems like as soon as Sargeras and the War of the Ancients thing, as soon as that all kind of went south, the the satyr, they, they turned to the old gods and said, okay, well, you guys are powerful. What can you do for us? And they're kind of playing both sides. And I get that impression with Ashara, too. I mean, it feels like she could potentially be playing both sides. Because she had that connection with the Burning Legion and she found Sargeras fascinating. She wanted to be Sargeras's consort. Like, that, straight up, she wanted to rule the ruins of the universe with Sargeras. And then when that fell through and her city was, you know, descending into the ocean and her and, you, you know, right along with it. And she heard that voice that said, yeah, I'll give you all kinds of power more than you could ever know she snapped it up immediately she was like yeah sure okay do what you're gonna do so yeah i don't think that's something that we're going to you know find resolved immediately or within the context of legion i'm not sure but that pretty much wraps us up for emails again if you have any emails you can send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com make sure that you put lore watch in the subject line if you're going to do that 
uh, Blizzard Watch. It's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your questions answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. So um, I'm going to postulate something to you guys because, I mean, we were just talking about this, so why not? Final thoughts. Do you guys think that we're going to confront Nazoth in the Legion expansion? Rossi, go. No, I do not think we are going to fight Nazoth this expansion. I think Nazoth is too big, and I think the old gods and the Void Lords are too big for us to be fighting them right now. I okay. think this is a Legion expansion. Okay. Do you think that we're going to have Ashara pop up again in this expansion, or do you think that she is going to be reserved for whatever old god madness we've got going on? I don't think she'll be a boss this expansion, but I definitely think that she might have a role. Okay. Joe, same questions. We are not going to fight Nazoth, but right as we're getting ready to, you know, leave the deal with the Legion, just like every other thing that's happened with us, we're going to get those that little tinge of Nazoth popping up and, and going, well, you're away. I'm going to go play now. Thanks for waking me up. Something along those lines. Because, again, every time we have those big victories, it doesn't get better. <laughs> it just doesn't get better. Uh so, yeah, and I, I think we'll see Ezra, but I think it's going to be very similar to uh, our previous encounters with her where we are not worthy to deal with her. So she's not going to deal with us. We're so far beneath yes. her that we're not really worth notice. Now, after we go beat up Sargeras, she might reconsider that and then we might see her afterwards. But we're not going to see her. We're not going to fight her, at least in this expansion. We may interact with her, but it won't be a fight. OK. All right. Well, that wraps it up for Lore Watch. We will see you guys again in two weeks. Mm-hmm.